Hello, and welcome to Papago Butte's Church of the Brethren podcast, recorded live weekly at our campus in Scottsdale, Arizona, during our normal service. My name is John Chubb. I am the pastor here. I'm excited to be preaching with you this morning, and I'm a little bummed out. I walked down the aisle, I saw a lot of cameras out, and now there's no cameras out, so I don't know what happened. I guess I can't compete uh, with the littles. Are we able to get the screen up Okay, awesome. So, um, so we are in our final Advent sermon series this week. Uh, Christmas is, uh, again, in case you didn't know, this upcoming Saturday. So, Merry Christmas. Uh, if I see you this week or Christmas Eve or whatever, I'll still say Merry Christmas. I think it's okay to say that a bunch of times. Merry Christmas. This wasn't in my script. Let's just all say Merry Christmas on the count of three. One, two, three. Merry Christmas. Oh, that's so great. I love it. I love it. Um, Let's see, make sure this is connecting here. Is this not connecting? No, I'll just do, I'll, I'll, I'll give you cues for that. Um, so if you've been here the last uh, few weeks, um, you know that we've been looking at uh, the four uh, prophets uh, that Matthew mentions in his birth story of Jesus. And so we're on our fourth and final one this morning. Uh, we're going to be looking at Jeremiah 31. Um, I have been a lifelong student of the Bible. Um, I've kind of grew up in the church. um, And one of the things that I'm still kind of coming to terms with is just honestly like how violent uh, the Bible is. Uh, the, violent, the, the, the Bible is a very violent book. Um, growing up, like I went to Sunday school, we did all the, I did learn all, about all the heroes of the faith, um, things like that. I would read the Bible uh, with my dad at night, and I, again, I was pretty familiar with the stories and the characters. You know, if you asked me like about Moses, I could tell you all about Moses and what he did and miracles and, and, and all that kind of stuff. I, I, I knew my Bible pretty well, and it, honestly, it wasn't until maybe college or so when I started to realize the Bible was not this like kid-friendly thing uh, that I always thought it was. Um, Most of the heroes in the Hebrew scripture, Noah, Abraham, Moses, David, etc., most of them have blood on their hands. Um, Almost every hero from the Bible is involved in some sort of killing or violence or infidelity or serious lie or some sort of smear upon their existence. If they were to run for public office in today, they might not be able to serve because all of that sordid stuff uh, would come up. Um, and the same is, is, is true of the Christmas story as well. Like, we view it as this thing that's kid-friendly, and certainly to a degree that is the case. Um, there are animals and shepherds and angels and a gift and a baby. All of these things make for a great nativity set. All of these things make for a, a great nativity scene. Um, but there's also violence, and, and there's also sadness in that original story. Um, From our opening reading, Matthew records how Herod put to death all the boys aged two and under in Bethlehem. Um, That's a very shocking element to the story, one of the ones that we may be quick to gloss over. We may forget it's there. It kind of happens towards the end of the story, so maybe we kind of just, like, forget to read that part. Um, so, but, it, but it's there and kind of part of, of the birth story of Jesus. Um, that event, um, sometimes Bible events have like, get like, kind of like nerdy names, and that, that event has been called the Massacre of the Innocents. That's sort of the name that, uh, if you read about it, that's what it's called. Um, it's been the inspiration for a lot of art. 
a lot of medieval art, as you can imagine. Um, this one, uh, here's uh, one uh, up on the screen, done by a gentleman named uh, Guido Rennie. Um, this was uh, uh, painted in 1611. So the, the same year that the King James Bible came out uh, was this um, very um, graphic uh, picture, not photo, uh, picture of, uh, of that story. And, and Matthew, when he records this, he says that this is a fulfillment of Jeremiah 31.15. And so we're going to explore that text this morning, Jeremiah 31, in the middle of, of, of the chapter. We're going to wrestle with that, wrestle with some sadness as well. So I invite you to pray with me, and then we'll dive in. So please pray with me. Lord, we are so, uh, so thankful for the truth of your word. We're thankful for the prophet Jeremiah, what he had to say. We're uh, thankful for how Matthew picked up on that and, and, and baked that into his uh, story of uh, Christ. We pray this morning I would indeed be able to preach and proclaim your truth. If I say anything that's not of you, let that be forgotten. But I would pray that we could better understand you, we could bring you honor, and that we could better be your disciples as a result of that. Amen. All right, so Jeremiah the prophet, let's briefly talk about him. Uh, Jeremiah, he had a lot of things on his mind. He had a lot of things to say, uh, 52 chapters worth of things to report on, in fact. It, it's a very long book. Um, he, was a, he was alive for about five kings, prophesied for about 40 years or so, give or take. Um, he is known as the weeping prophet. So if you study Jeremiah, you kind of read about him, that's one of the things he gets called is the weeping prophet. He often talks about crying. He often talks about being in anguish um, over, over his message of doom and gloom. Um, and so he, he, he's a very emotional guy. He's not phoning it in. He's taking his job very seriously as a prophet. Um, and he has a lot of complaining in his book, a lengthy complaint that he goes on, um, as well as doom and gloom, as you as you probably would be would imagine. Um, actually, we have a word in English that we derive from the prophet Jeremiah. Uh, there's a word in English called a Jeremiad, which comes directly from, uh, from this book. And so a Jeremiad is a prolonged lamentation or mournful complaint, according to dictionary.com. And that basically sums up uh, the, the message of Jeremiah, a prolonged lamentation or mournful complaint. Um, but there also are some glimmers of hope in this book as well. Like the other prophets we've looked at, a lot of like negative destruction kind of stuff, as well as some moments of joy and some moments of good things as well. And chapter 31 is uh, one of them uh, too. And so we're going to be reading from the New Revised Standard Version this morning, the NRSV. I'll be making our way through that. Um, so even though there is some joy, it starts off kind of dark. In verse 15, thus says the Lord, a voice is heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel is weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted for her children because they are no more. Oof. So the divided kingdoms of Israel and Judah, they're about to be taken into captivity. Uh, this is the fourth prophet in a row we've looked at where this is the case. So if you've been sitting here over the last few weeks, you should know, like, this is a very heavy theme in the prophets. Uh, destruction is coming. We're about to be taken into captivity. Very bad things are about to happen. Um, and Rachel, if you remember your, your, your Hebrew scriptures and, and the history there, Rachel is one of the matriarchs of Israel. She's one of the mothers of, uh, of Israel. She's one of the moms. Um, she married Jacob. Um, and of the 12 sons of Israel that became the 12 tribes of Israel, uh, she ends up bearing two of them. She ends up bearing Joseph and Benjamin. And so this, as, as this section starts, it's, it's a, poet, a poetic imagining of one of the mothers of Israel lamenting for the soon-to-be loss of her children. 
And, and the city of Rama, that was a stopping point along the path that the exile eventually happened. It, it's a place where the exiles would be gathered uh, together before being shipped off. So Rama has this like connotation of like, that's not a place that you want to be. There's a lot of sorrow and mourning there. And so this is a very kind of like a poetic understanding of loss that, that Jeremiah is presenting, but it's, it's all the more so when we understand just the story of Rachel, when we kind of like dig into her backstory and know about her details, this is just like makes it all the more emotional. Um, Jacob has two wives. He has uh, Leah and he has Rachel. Uh, Leah has a bunch of kids, uh, but Rachel is not able to conceive. And this is thousands of years ago in, in a time and place very different than our own. Um, but at that place, in that culture, in that time, at that hist- historical point, uh, your value and your just uh, status as a woman uh, was tied up in your ability to have children, especially males, especially sons. And so as a woman, you were supposed to bear sons to keep the family life going. And so if she can't do that, that's not a good place for her to be. This is also a time of concubines, and so you have the, the uh, people that aren't your, your spouse, but they kind of like kind of are like a substitute for you. And so Rachel um, ends up giving Jacob two of her concubines to have children in her place. And so they're not really her kids, but they kind of are. But especially because they didn't come from her, it, it kind of makes it all the more hurtful. Like I can't have kids, but even my concubines uh, can have kids. And she's in anguish over this. Like she is just in utter sorrow over this. Um, and at one point in the book. Uh, she, she, uh, the text says, when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister, and she said to Jacob, give me children or I shall die. Oof. Give me children or I shall die. So the ability to have children was an especially sensitive area for Rachel. And, and she does eventually have two kids. She ends up having two boys, um, and she dies when her second one is born, uh, Benjamin. And so this passage is, is just emotional on itself, but when you understand the backstory and the full picture of Rachel, you can just understand just how much more like heartbreaking this image is, that her children embodied as the nation of Israel that she desperately wanted, that they're about to cease to exist. So it's like sorrow upon sorrow. Um, but despite the sorrow, despite the sadness, there is hope. And so the rest of the message is a picture of hope. Uh, Jeremiah continues in verses 16 to 17. Thus says the Lord, keep your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears, for there is a reward for your work, says the Lord. They shall come back from the land of the enemy. There is hope for your future, says the Lord. Your children shall come back to their own country. And so despite this like opening uh, weeping of Rachel for her children, there is also a message of hope that follows. Um, It's the same message that we keep touching upon each week. Despite this coming invasion, despite this coming destruction, Israel will indeed one day come back. Israel will indeed one day return. There will be this period of loss. There will be this period of mourning. uh, But that is not the end of the story. That's not where it's finished. Israel will one day rise again. Um, And we continue in verses 18 and 19. Indeed, I heard Ephraim pleading. You disciplined me, and I took the discipline. I was like a calf untrained. Bring me back, let me come back, for you are the Lord my God. For after I had turned away, I repented. And after I was discovered, I struck my thigh. I was ashamed and I was dismayed because I bore the disgrace of my youth. And so here we see uh, this future Israel repenting here. They were disciplined, and the discipline actually stuck this time. 
And like a calf who accepts their training, they know the path to return is through repentance. And there's this image of striking your thigh in verse 19. And that's an ancient way of showing remorse. It's an ancient way of showing uh, that you're sorry. It's kind of like when you mess up with your wife and you bring home flowers. That's, that's what striking your thigh is like. And it shows like, hey, I know I messed up here. And last week we talked about the idea of Israel being God's son. And th- that image, imagery comes up again as we continue in verse 20. Is Ephraim my dear son? Is he the child I delight in? As often as I speak against him, I still remember him. Therefore, I am deeply moved for him. I will surely have mercy on him, says the Lord. So again, we see more into the heart of God here. We see Yahweh's grace and compassion and the longing for, to welcome back God's son. And then the, the theme of, of the promise of return is further outlined in verses 21 and 22. Set up road markers for yourself. Make yourself signposts. Consider well the highway, the road by which you went. Return, O virgin Israel. Return to these your cities. How long will you waver, O faithless daughter? For the Lord has created a new thing on the earth. A woman encompasses a man. And so God is telling the people like, hey, make signage to find your way back. Put up signs. You don't make signs if you don't plan on using them. He's calling them to be like Hansel and Gretel. Leave a trail of bread comes breadcrumbs back as they will be finding their way back uh, home after the exile. And verse 22 is interesting. It's almost like a challenge from God. Um, Don't waver. This is indeed going to happen. It may seem impossible, but it will come to pass. After all, God is the one promising that. And if God makes a promise, like, maybe that's something you should consider. Maybe that's something you should take seriously. Maybe that's something that you should take to heart. And that last line I want to highlight for a moment as well. For, for the Lord has created a new thing on the earth. A woman encompasses a man. I think that this verse is helping to cement the idea that return from exile is not impossible. So in, in this verse, Israel is the woman, God is the man. And that there will be a day when she will return from her wandering and embrace her husband again. So a lot, a lot of imagery, uh, family and animals and things like that going on in this, in this, in this uh, section. And so Jeremiah 31 as a whole is is a very long chapter, and we're kind of just looking at the middle of that uh, this morning. As always, lots of things we could say, lots of directions uh, we could go. Um, But but for our purposes this morning, I wanted to highlight a little bit uh, uh, what I referenced at the beginning, uh, just that idea of sadness, that theme of sadness. Uh, Matthew includes in his birth story the sadness of the slaughter of the innocents. And again, it's easy for us to gloss over that. It's easy for us to skip over that part. It's very easy for us to like, not even get to that part. And, and Christmas as a whole, the season of Advent, is understood as a happy time. Um, but there are moments of sadness and sorrow uh, for many of us during this season as well. This is a time where it's marketed. This is a time that's advertised as fun and festive. But the reality is this is not the case for everyone. And so this end of the year season, this time of Advent, the weeks between Thanksgiving and Christmas are not always something that everyone looks to with excitement and joy. For many people, they can, uh, this time of year can bring sorrow. This time of year can bring dread. Like Rachel, uh, there can be a weeping over loss or something sad. At a just merely base level, This is a very stressful time of year. 
Um, there's this expectation to be in the Christmas spirit, uh, whatever that means. Uh, but there's this idea that there's all this stuff that we have to do and, and participate in. We have to decorate. We have to go to parties. We have to host parties. Uh, there's this pressure to buy gifts keep up with traditions, create new and fun memories along the way. There's the pressure to uh, travel, to visit family, have them visit you. There's the pressure to make sure your kids aren't disappointed, uh, keeping up with the Joneses, like all that kind of stuff. And so there is just a lot. There is just a lot going on in the world, and it can feel overwhelming, overwhelming to try to have this perfect Christmas you know, whatever that means to you. Again, the idea of a perfect Christmas means different things to uh, different, different people sitting here, and there's this idea that we have to, like, do that, otherwise we've failed as a people, we've failed as a person. Um, so, so that's at a very basic level, something uh, that we all may experience or have this pressure uh, to do. Maybe we have this anxiety towards. There, there, there's a lot of stress that's in the air right now. And so I just wanted to pause and acknowledge that this morning. I wanted to pause to acknowledge that and to give space for that and to give you permission to say, like, no. It's okay to say no to things sometimes. It's okay to make sure to take care of yourself uh, during this time. And I think the, the more that we buy into the commercialization of Christmas, um, the, the easier it is for us to feel trapped by the various trappings of this season. And so if you're sitting here, if you're kind of feeling overwhelmed by all of this, if you're feeling overwhelmed by all of the busyness, like, it's okay. It's okay to step back a little bit. It's okay to give yourself a little bit of breathing room. It's, a, it's okay to allow yourself some space uh, to pause, to take care of yourself. That is okay. And granted, we are kind of coming towards the end of the season, so maybe this gives you a chance to kind of rethink things for the next time. Maybe to rethink things for next year gives you a chance to say, you know what, come 2022, like, I just need it to be different. And that is okay. And so that's a base level frustration that this time can bring. So I think this is something that we all can kind of like feel, and I think we just want to acknowledge that. That's a base level. But there can be deeper things uh, going on as well. This time can bring a deeper frustration and sorrow for some of us as well. Again, it's supposed to be a time of, that's f uh, fun. It's, a, it's supposed to be a time that's festive. But for many of us, it's not. It's a time when previous loss or sadness can come roaring back with a vengeance. Maybe past wounds we have uh, may rip open again at the seams. You know, you, maybe you don't have children. Maybe you aren't able to have children. Maybe you're estranged from your children, and, and you mourn that. You see all this energy being put into children during this time. You see all the energy being put forth into kids and presents and Santa and all of that, and that just stirs up things in you. You want that for your life. Maybe it was part of your life at one point, but now it's not. Maybe it's not in the cards. Like Rachel, you're mourning the loss of what was or what could have been. You know, you're recently uh, divorced. You're struggling to navigate what it means to be single during a time that's meant to bring families together. So you're spending this time, like, rethinking and having to redefine what family even is. Maybe you're estranged from family members and, and you feel the tears well up when you watch this cheesy Hallmark movie, all these hijinks that go on, there's a blizzard, they're all trying to get home for the holidays, and that's not your life. 
you would give anything for that. And it's just, it's not. You know, you, you've suffered maybe your recent job loss, you're struggling to pay bills, you're worried about the future, and then you're feeling like you have to provide all this stuff and these festivities uh, for your loved ones during this time. Um, I, th I think about all the families right now that were impacted in, in Kentucky with their recent tornadoes. Um, as of the writing of my sermon the other day, 76 are reported dead and 16 are still unaccounted for. Uh, for hundreds, if not thousands of families in that area, Christmas for a very long time is going to be associated with the loss of loved ones, with the loss of their homes, and with the loss of just normal for a very long time. Christmas, for many of these families, will be associated with walking through the valley of the shadow of death for them. And that's to say nothing of just the loss and the tragedies that impact so many of us on a regular and ongoing basis that just don't make the news. And as a church body, I think it's important for us to acknowledge this and to recognize that, yes, this certainly is a time of year we associate with happiness and cheer and joy and all of that, as we should. Like, the Advent, Christmas, that is a great idea. That is a great message. That's something, like, I absolutely uh, believe in. Uh, but we also recognize that here in our building, that there are those listening online, that there are those that you work with, that there are those that you live by, that there are those that you encounter in the world in various forms, but maybe this is not the case for them. Like Rachel, they are mourning the loss of something important and something sacred to them. And so I think it's important to just pause and acknowledge that and to, to, to call us to make sure that we're being people who are just aware of our surroundings, to be aware of our neighbors, and to be a people who offer a love to those who are hurting. And so as I've been talking about this, if there's someone that's been like, conjured up in your mind about this, like, check in with that person. Be Christ to them during this season. Send them a card. Give them a call. Take them out for coffee. Like, whatever that looks like. And if you are a person who is experiencing this, as one, this season as one of lament, I do hope that you're able to find a peace, uh, a sense of peace during this season as well. You know, you're, you're part of a church body that wants to show you love in, in whatever form that you may need. And so I, I really do truly hope that you're able to find uh, that here. I hope that we are people that embody that. We are to embody that every single day, but I think especially uh, during this time of year. And now I want to be very cautious about just jumping into platitudes as well, because it's very easy for it to, like, to say, like, you know, you're sad now, you're going to get over it. Like, like Jeremiah 31, Rachel is told that her sadness and mourning won't last forever, and absolutely I do believe that, that, that there could be healing no matter what you're going through, no matter what the situation is in your life. Absolutely I do believe that. You know, th things might look different for you, your life might look different, but I certainly do believe in healing and hope and restoration and all of those good things. But we do I don't want to rush that. I also don't want to downplay people's sorrows as well. When you have wounds, they can sometimes take some time to heal. And that healing can look a little bit different for all of us. And that length of time can look a little bit different for all of us. And that's okay. And so while there's a collective sense of festivities in the air during this time, and that's amazing and that's exciting, let, let us also recognize that there are sorrows present in the world as well, and that we can be people who offer a balm of healing, whatever that looks like. 
You know, God did something miraculous by taking on human flesh and living as one of us. Advent is all about that. God, the create God, knows what it's like to be mortal. God knows what it's like to have flesh and, and, and blood and bones and all of that. And that is just a wild idea. That is a radical idea, something that's very easy for us to lose sight of. Jesus was one of us. Jesus, God in the flesh, was one of us. And Jesus knew human comforts. He knew what it was like just to take a warm bath after a long day. He knew the gratification of freshly baked bread. He probably didn't have like garlic bread and chocolate milkshakes and all that kind of stuff, but he knew what it was like to enjoy, enjoy food like that. But he also knew sorrow as well. He also knew sadness as well. He knew the loss of loved ones, like Lazarus. He knew the likely loss of his earthly father, Joseph. He knew what it was like to be rejected by his best friends during his most vulnerable hour, like Gethsemane. And so we have a God who knows our joys, and he knows our sorrows, and he knows everything in between. And we have a God who calls us into community to walk alongside of both of those extremes in whatever form they take, however long they last. And so let that be our calling as a community of faith, to be healing, to be hope, to be joy for one another, to come alongside of our, each other in our, in our joys and our sorrows and whatever other stuff is going on here in the middle. That's what Advent is about. That's what it means to be a disciple of Christ. That's something that we do every single day. Let's live that out. Let's have that be our sense of calling. Thank you for listening to Papago Butte's Church of the Brethren podcast. If you have any questions or are interested in finding out more about our church, feel free to reach out to us at any time. Our contact information is provided at www.pbcob.org.